0: Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I bring a guest on to talk about dating and relationships while answering your questions. You can ask a question by visiting askamatchmaker.com. Happy New Year. I'm just going to go into introducing my guest right now. This week's guest is Charlie Lester. Charlie is one of the leading dating industry experts in the world. She founded Lumen, the first ever dating app, especially designed for over 50s. Prior to that, she founded the Dating Awards, a set of international awards of the dating industry. Charlie, welcome to Ask
1: a Matchmaker. Thank you for having me. Let's talk.
0: <laughs> How was your New Year's?
1: Oh no, well, New Year's in lockdown, right? I live alone, so um, in the UK, you're allowed to bubble with one other person. So I bubbled mm-hmm. with a sex expert. So you had a dating expert and a sex expert, both single, in a house together. Um, <laughs> we were playing online virtual escape rooms, which was brilliant. So we actually had a really nice evening. What is an online virtual escape room? So if you've ever done a, an escape room before where you get locked in a room and you've got an hour to get out, you just solve these clues and undo locks. The virtual ones, they send an avatar into the room for you. So it's like an actual human being who normally works at that that center and you guide them around a bit like, a, like kind of like a kid's game show, I would say from the 80s or 90s, where you're like, open this box, walk over there, look at this for me. It's, it's amazing. It's actually really, really good fun.
0: It sounds like the plot of, at least the beginning of a, black mirror episode
1: yeah probably but but far less black mirror than anything else we've dealt with in the last 12 months
0: that's so I'm true that, that is true <laughs> if, if someone is interested in doing this where would they go
1: Oh, uh, well, the best ones I've done, there's an incredible one in the Ukraine, which is called Project Avatar. And there's a couple in the US called Miss Jezebel and Pursuit of the Assassin Artists. So if you just Google um, virtual escape room, you're looking for one that has an avatar. That's when there's a human doing it. So it's not like an online computer game. Um, But it's really nice. It's a nice way, I guess, in this pandemic for businesses that would otherwise have to close because they can't welcome people in through the doors to actually keep running and keep making money. And from the perspective of someone who lives on a very small island, it's really cool for me because I'm getting to do rooms in Australia and in Canada and the US Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have been able to visit otherwise. So, yeah, no, it's a really fun thing.
0: And when you say small island, are you calling british isles a small yeah. island
1: yeah we are a small island i mean I, like we're tiny compared to your states right i think we probably fit into texas about 10 times or something <laughs> ridiculous for the that's... amount of power people attribute to the country
0: <laughs> okay but that's just land like <laughs> that's so funny i would never when i think of small island i think of like greek islands
1: Oh yeah. I mean, they like far nicer. Like, but you know, to me, I...
0: a small island is not even just so much the land as much as like the amenities. Like I'm from an island. My mother's from an island where there isn't even a hospital. There's yeah. one doctor, one officer.
1: We're nowhere near that. One brand. bank. But, but but i mean with yeah. with all the brexit stuff who knows we are going to get treated increasingly like a small island i think but yeah uh, so yeah. We, we're just what i meant was that obviously there's there's a limited number of escape rooms in the uk still quite a few right a i couple see what hundred, you're yeah, yeah, yeah but like there's thousands i mean they're they're massive in the states right they're really good fun
0: i love that you know you mentioned that you know you're a single woman living at home by yourself right did you say you're single yeah yeah okay Have you done any other virtual events to meet people or do things?
1: Uh, So, I mean, uh, to be honest, I haven't really changed my dating behavior too much. I've met a couple of people during the lockdown time and gone on like socially distanced dates and stuff um, through dating apps. I find, I think one of the interesting things about this pandemic is that it's forcing lots of people to go online who probably wouldn't have been dating online otherwise. So there's definitely like a new crop of daters out there and um, I think also one of the things that that I am seeing you know both in my personal life but also kind of in my work life because I work in dating still is that people are more willing to settle down right the type of people who this time two years ago would have been like oh my god being single in London or in New York is amazing because I can date a different girl every day, are like oh actually do you know what that's not very safe and um, I'm not going out much so I'm not meeting all these women So actually that, you know, and they realize, I think, I think lots of us who have lived alone through this will have realized just how lonely that is. And I think a lot of people who probably weren't looking for a relationship in January 2020, probably now are quite keen to get into a relationship. So I think it's quite an interesting time to be single, actually, because I think there's a there's a lot more opportunity.
0: I mean, while we're recording this, yesterday was Dating Sunday. Dating Sunday is a term that we have in the dating industry for the Sunday after New Year's, which would be the most busy day of the year for online dating sites. The most, I think, like more people join on dating Sunday than any other week.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the, and traditionally that's because people have just got through Christmas and Christmas can be a bit rubbish if you're single, you know, you're surrounded by couples maybe, or you've just had lots of relatives saying to you, oh, when are you going to settle down? Mm-hmm. And it kind of is a little bit of a slap in the face if you're single. And then there's the run up to Valentine's Day. And so I think a lot of people come out of the holiday season and just get straight on dating apps, which is why previous years we've seen huge surges I mean, I think that tinder did still have a surge yesterday but I do think that probably the impact of the holidays has been a little bit less than it normally would because I don't know about you guys I know in in England no one got to really mix over Christmas so you didn't have those same experiences of like your grandmother saying to you why are you still single at 35 or whatever
0: (laughs) but you still have the motivation of uh, new year's resolutions and I think for some people At least, you know, I have, um, so I have a, a intensive, it's a a group coaching intensive program for women, a few spots left, uh, for this week for anyone listening. Um, but after you graduate, you enter a WhatsApp group and I must have received 50 messages this weekend with dating resolutions. I mean, I did ask for them. I asked for like, you know, Hey, like, let me know what your resolutions are. But so much of it was centered around dating and getting into a relationship or even so much of a lot of the resolutions were how to date better. Like I'm not going to waste my time in situationships. And I appreciated that. I think that's great. And I think to your point, you know, people are more willing right now to settle and I, settle, I think some people hear down down as than
1: To settle, I would say to settle well, down, rather than settle.
0: Yeah, settle I, down. That's right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, thank you for correcting me. Settle down. Yeah, that's a big people difference. Way,
1: isn't
0: there? <laughs> yeah, it is a big difference. People are way more willing to settle down, and I don't know. I think that's I think that's a great thing because I don't know how long this is going to. Like you know, part of me hopes that we all get vaccinated by spring, but the reality is that most people in let's say first world countries will probably be vaccinated by September. And that's not including, you know, new science, scientific findings of variants coming out of, you know, other countries, the UK, for instance.
1: (laughs) Well, we say then there's an app over here where we can work out basically where we are in line for the vaccine. And I know in the last few weeks, um, if you typed in like my date of birth, um, it would come up with around September. And now that's pushed back to any time between January and July, 2022, they're saying, I mean, who knows, right? But so I, I we're, we're in this for a long haul. This I think I think we wow. do need to adapt to the ways of dating at the moment, because I don't think that this is just going to be the case for a few more months. I think it's interesting. I mean, having seen people's changing attitudes, I started chatting to a guy in like March, April time. So when we, we'd just gone into lockdown in the UK, and this guy was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to do a video call with you. I don't want to do a Zoom. I don't want to do a phone call. Um, I don't want to meet up. And and it and, and, you know rightly so I don't want to meet up but you know we were just like okay you need to give me something other than some text messages and after like 10 weeks of text messaging I was like look I I just don't think we're going to be compatible because I don't want a pen friend and I get that you know at first it was a bit weird going on zoom dates right but actually that was the new normal. And so much of the rest of our lives was on Zoom that I think you just kind of had to suck it up. And and, and then now the the changing attitude to Zoom days, right? I think the interesting thing, I think when we finally get out of all of this, most people will still be doing a sort of screening call before they meet people in real life, because it just saves you so much time. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that I love about you, Charlie, is that every year you post
0: I don't want to say the word resolutions, but you kind of post your annual recaps of reading and working out.
1: Yeah. So I think I realized quite early on that New Year's resolutions traditionally don't really work for me. So this idea that I'm going to not eat sugar for the first month, whatever, or cut something out. um, I think I worked out quite quickly that basically I, um, you know, I'd have one bad day and then it kind of ruined my year. And so instead, I tried to reframe it and decide, okay, is there a better way I can approach this so that if I have a bad week or a bad day, I still can achieve stuff across the year. So I started just setting myself. First off, it was reading. So I set myself a challenge of 52 books across the year, which sounded crazy when I first started. So like, you know, it's a book a week. And then actually, when you start making time for that, you start realizing how possible it is. I think one year I did like 110 or something. I mean, and, and they're audiobooks. Some of them I'll listen to them when I'm running, or if I'm driving, or if I'm commuting. And it started to make me realise how much extra time I had in my day that I was wasting on social media, or you know, reading throwaway newspapers and magazines mm-hmm. and stuff. So I started with that, and then I also with exercise. Now I've always I've always enjoyed exercise. I've always I'm not very good with diets. I am. Um, I'm type of person that if you put me on a diet, I'll be amazing for a week and then I'll binge the following week. And it just makes me feel really bad. So I realized that for me, the way to stay feeling healthy is is exercise. Um, and I don't like the feeling when I have a lazy day. And, you know, you know I think we've all, we've all been there where you talk yourself out of doing the exercise. Mm-hmm. And so I worked out the way to motivate myself to do the exercise each year was to set myself a total number of days across the year of exercise so say I want to do five days of exercise a week instead of saying to myself every every week this year I'm going to do five days of exercise and then having a week where I'm ill or on holiday or feeling rubbish and then that that ruins it for the whole year I just calculated right what's five times 52 250 let's go it's 260 but yeah let's 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 do a 250 day year and and I found that far better because then I started choosing my days off and actually planning the days I was going to take off. Um, with my exercise, I kind of, I just let myself, like uh, anything counts as exercise, whether it's like an hour long walk or a swim or a marathon or an Ironman. I do Man triathlons. They all count the same.
0: I mean, you also did that insane marathon through the Sahara Desert a couple of <laughs> years ago.
1: Yeah, marathon des Sables. So it's six marathons in six days across the Sahara. Does it? And I and I say this right. If 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 you don't know what I look like, I am a size. I'm a British size twelve. So I think that's a, that's a size eight. I think in in the US, so I'm not particularly small. I'm not. I don't look like one of those long distance runners, right? I'm five foot eight. I weigh a fair amount. Um. But I just, I think I'm just quite stubborn and I love a challenge and I love setting my mind to something. And, you know, it, it took a fair bit of training. It was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's not the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, it was a lot of fun though. And the people I met out there, it was one of the best weeks of my life. because the Charlie, I who- was
0: so obsessed with every single post you put up that week. Like I would, you would post something and I would read it. I would look at the photos. I'd read your post again. I would look at the photos again. Like I was I can't believe you did that.
1: Do you know what? I can't believe I did it because when I was looking at it two years beforehand, I was so petrified that I was going to, you know, not like get lost in the middle of the Sahara desert and die or get bitten by a snake. You know, you, 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 you're, I mean, the kit list has things like a snake ven- venom pump that you must carry with you. Right. That's really scary when you're thinking, oh, my God, what am I doing? What am I signing up to? And then actually, in reality, it was not scary at all. And I, I walked with the same guys and ran sections and walked with this, this group of five guys. And we just made like lifelong friends. There were sections where we were carrying a guy who was one of the fittest guys I've ever met in my life, and he just got like a blood infection. And we literally we were carrying him between the four of us um, through the night, through the Sahara Desert. And it sounds awful, but it's honestly one of the best experiences of my life because it felt like an adventure. And I think, I mean, this kind of goes back to the escape room stuff that I was talking about at the start, right? I that is me in a nutshell. I just love an adventure, and I love feeling like I'm in a movie, right? I love feeling like I'm in a book, like I'm a character in a book. And I guess I do as much of my life as possible to try and make it like to have those adventures, which I'm not going to lie. The last year being stuck indoors for the last 12 months has not been great, but, <laughs> but I'm trying my best to have adventures still.
0: How have you been working out now?
1: So we're still allowed to run in the UK, but all the gyms are closed, but you can still go out once a day for a run. So I've been mainly focusing on that. So last year I ran a thousand miles, which is the longest, the furthest I've ever run in a year. And again, that was for me, that was a nice challenge to tick off. Um, if anyone's a run, you know, fancy doing something like that, the app Strava is free and is really easy. It kind of matches your runs as you go Strava, S-T-R, I think it's double A, V-A okay Um, it 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 maps your runs as you go and tallies it so that you Mm -hmm. kind of know how much you've done that week how much you've done that month um and your friends can see you can sort of your friends can see how you're doing which I found again for me work quite well because then I wouldn't slack because I know that my friends can see how fast I'm running so you know like or I I wouldn't cut the run short because i might know if I go home people are going to know I only ran a mile I think with all of these things particularly with new year's resolutions it's finding it's finding something that works for you that you know won't make you feel bad. Because I think the problem with a lot of New Year's resolutions is they actually end up making people feel worse than they were when they started, right? Because that feeling of getting three days in and then binge eating or drinking alcohol or whatever, or eating meat, suddenly you feel like a complete failure.
0: Um, I have a girlfriend of mine who, like you, she's all about adventure. And she does this thing where she basically writes like 12 goals she'd like to accomplish every year. And she puts them like in a glass bottle with a cap. And then once a month she takes out a paper. So maybe in January she'll it'll say go vegan. So for the next thirty days she has to be vegan. Um, in February she'll take another paper and it says read five books. So now she has to read five books. Like so, she has twelve goals that she wants to accomplish, but she has a month for each of those goals to do it. And I love it on the first of every month, she does a whole Facebook and Instagram post about what she selected. And then you kind of see a lot of her posts kind of revolve around that one goal. So I thought that was a really, I think that's a very, a different way to approach, you know, you have to think of the year, not just like, you know, I think what you just said, resolutions can be tricky because they do make people feel bad. But if you can reverse engineer it and say stuff like, well, what do I want to accomplish by the end of this year?
1: Yeah, definitely. I um I normally start the year with a full list of stuff i want to accomplish and then i mm-hmm. finish it ticking it off and seeing which ones and i never beat myself up if i haven't got done everything on the list um i have to admit this year i haven't done one just because it's such a weird situation because normally i would put all the races that i've signed up for right but bearing in right. mind most races i've signed up for have been cancelled three times over and probably will be cancelled again just this morning a race i was meant to do in china in in may has been cancelled so you just i i think it was interesting i think around may last Last year I sat down with the list I'd written for myself in January and I and I just decided to be kind to myself and, and review it and think look a lot of this is completely out of your hands which bits can you still control is can you reframe some of this can you change some of your goals off the back of it and, and I think so I think it is a weird time to be setting resolutions and I think that, that it's worth bearing in mind look you're not in control in the way that you normally would be so don't beat yourself up if you don't hit all of them. But I love I love that idea of doing something different a month uh, each month. I once tried to do that every every week of the year. So I did a vegan week, not a month. I can't mm-hmm. I can't give up cheese for that long. Um, <laughs> and I did. I can't. I'm trying to think what else I did. That I, I did I did a different challenge each week, and I think it lasted about three months. It was quite hard to keep thinking of challenges. And um, right. one of them I did like a week of meditation because that's something I don't really do. Um, I did a week of making sure I moisturize my face. Just all the little habits that I would love to have that was trying to get into more more daily routines I guess
0: I do this thing with my husband on the first of the month it was actually passed on to me by one of our colleagues Violet Lim she does with her family um, I think the SMART goals on the first of the month so if you look up SMART it's a acronym for meeting goals in the year um with my husband we do reflections and manifestations that's basically what we've kind of reframed it to and it really worked out this year. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit more about what we filled out. So on the first of the month, on the first of the year, after our kids go to bed, we sat down and for an hour and a half, we filled out worksheets. Um, so first we did reflections on 2020. We both wrote out like a few sentences of like how we think 2020 went. Then we write our greatest achievements, bullet point list, our greatest highlights of the year, bullet point list. And then at the end it says, what do you want to continue in 2021? And what do you want to stop in 2021? And so what's funny is my husband and I both had under stop in 2021 as unnecessary spending. That was the only thing we both wrote. Cause I feel like a lot of this pandemic or working from home, it, we did clear up a lot of things that we didn't want to do anymore. As a couple or as parents. Um, and then there's some things that we just can't really talk about. Like, you know, do I want my son to be on a tablet for a couple hours a day? No, of course not. But do I really have a choice right now? No, of course I don't. You know, so it's some things you just kind of have to make peace with. But having like the reflections of 2020 just kind of like framed a little bit of like, you know, this year was, last year was kind of weird. It was bad for a lot of people. But we could still find some good in the year and then build on that. So after reflections, we do this thing called manifestations. Now I do do. I am going to start this year with monthly resolutions, like I said before. Like I have to find twelve ideas. I've only worked out one so far. But under manifestations, it starts off with what will the word of the year be? And you know, my husband and I took us like twenty five minutes to agree on a word, like a family word. Like at first we were debating what was it? We were debating determination then persistence. Then my husband was like making the case for tenacity. And I was making the case for flexibility. my husband's like, well, that's the same thing. And I'm like, no, they're quite literally antonyms, like they're opposite words. So we ended up on dedication. (laughs) And then from there, we created the affirmations of the year. So we made three or four statements where we use that word of like what we want to do for the year. So for instance, like I wrote, uh, I dedicate time to my husband and increasing our intimacy. That's pretty private, but you know, that's what we wrote. That's something that we want to dedicate time to. I also wrote here, uh, I dedicate positive thoughts and actions to help secure our future home. We really want to buy a home right now. And, you know, you have to take a couple of steps ahead of time before you make those kinds of purchases. So after we write our affirmations from there, we go into top manifestations and it's like, well, what do we want to manifest this year? So it's not so much as resolutions. You're thinking about like, what do you want to accomplish? And then if, from there you can, you know, make goals around it. Some goals, some things are just manifest. So like the first one on the top is like getting vaccinated. <laughs> I have no no control over the matter, but it's just something that we're like, okay, we, this is this has to happen, you know, for other things to take place. But, you know, of course, then, you know, we want to save, we put an amount, save this much money in our bank account to buy a house. We also wrote here in terms of manifestations, like, you know, travel to a national park. My husband and I were national park nerds. Travel to Greece, but this is, of course, after we get vaccinated. <laughs> um, and then we just a few other things that I hope happened in 2021. And then I can just keep looking at this, you know, every month. Because I do have this. I don't have a um, vision board. I have a vision binder. Is it right here? Look at it. Look at all these tabs. And I, it just helps a lot for me to just kind of focus on what I've learned the last month is that you can have ambition, but that's a very different thing than drive. As a result, you know, you can say, Oh, I want these things to happen, but they're not going to happen unless you actually put the actions
1: and the persistence. Behind it. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because because obviously you use the word manifestation, which is uh, you know, to do with the whole the secret, right? And um, mm-hmm. uh, which is the word they use. And I find that quite interesting because I think, like you said, you know that there are some people who just put this stuff out into the world and think it's going to happen. And I I right. still quite firmly believe that you have to hustle to get there too. Totally. It's a combination of the two. I think setting those manifestations puts your brain in the right on like the right wavelength or in the right target. But then you've got to then do the work to get there too. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting, I, I had, um, so I always have a whiteboard in my office um, that literally has my like aims for the year, like up and big. And some of them aren't, you know, some of them are the same as you, some of them are, are goals that I know I can hit. And some of them are things that are going to require other, other people get a boyfriend for example right that, that requires another person <laughs> before I can make that happen and it was funny um I was seeing a guy over the summer who walked into my office and um and he looked on the wall and he said oh what's behind that door and I was like do you know what I'm not gonna let you look at that yet because this is date like three or four or something and I was like you haven't even let me in your house yet you're not seeing the inside of my brain because that's what that whiteboard essentially was right like right. all of my goals for the year all the things I would love to happen but yeah I think it's, it's it has been an interesting and as you were saying, I think it's I think it's really worthwhile remembering that it wasn't all doom and gloom and, and actually sitting down and calculating, you know, you know, okay, I might not be where I expected to be, but what else did I manage to achieve along the way? Um, I always have these kind of goals that I start the year with and I still looked through them and ticked off the ones that, that I had done and the ones that I hadn't. And it was actually quite surprising. There were certain things that I'd I managed to do more than I hoped because I had more time. For example, I knitted a lot of babies' blankets last year, mm. something I would not expect to have done if you'd asked me in January. But actually, you know, you know There were some quite nice things. I've I've got a lot of children who are very happy because turns out I'm quite good at knitting, surprisingly. I did not expect that to be in my skill set, but you know, stuff like that where it's actually quite nice. And I've done a lot of embroidery and and just I've made a lot of gifts that I wouldn't have had time to if I hadn't spent most of the year in front of Netflix. Um, (laughs) That's amazing. yeah. So I think it's, it's it's trying to reframe stuff. And and, and actually, I think some, something that can help too is talking to your friends, because you know how sometimes we're our own worst critic and we'll think about stuff and we'll be like, oh, I didn't do anything. And then your good friends will say, hang on a minute, don't you remember you did this and you did this? I mean, actually, the knitting example, it was a colleague who pointed that out because I was talking about how, you know, I think a lot of single people probably feel like 2021... Uh, so 2020 is a year that's almost been like a thorn in your foot, right? Like, because it has stopped a lot of people from getting where they hoped they would be relationship wise. They probably have met less people than they were expecting. And so I know a lot of single people who feel a bit like, OK, yeah, the world's on pause, but I'm still getting I'm still a year older. And it was funny because we were doing something. I'm, I'm doing some work with a mental health app. And we were having this discussion about kind of this situation if you're single and feeling like you're not where you expected to be. And uh, and I was just using examples of you know so the things I'd hoped to achieve that I didn't, and she was you know that my friend said to me, "Yeah, but you've done this, and you've done this and you've done this mm. and she was highlighting stuff that she'd obviously seen on my social media or from conversations we'd had that I wouldn't have even thought of as successes, and it sometimes it takes that other person to reframe what you've done and put it into context and be like, do you know what that is that you, you, that's a big deal. You achieve that. That's not everyone is doing that.
0: I mean, the one thing that really surprised me this year was when we were, do- when my husband and I sat down to do our achievements, like we do it separately. We're on, we're both have two separate worksheets and my achievements were 100% different than his achievements. I mean, Oh, it was 95% different than his achievements. The one achievement that we both did was like, you know, we, we, I had a baby, but we kept it alive. <laughs> like, you know, go us but the rest of our achievements were incredibly different you know i didn't know that he had learned python in during covid you know during a stay at home and you know he's really proud of that and i just, you know i was like wow okay like great i think it's good to look at things from a reflection standpoint and um just don't be so hard on yourself
1: that's Same what i'm on- noticing as I say, the way I got into the dating industry many years ago now, yeah. about eight years ago, is that I wrote a dating blog where I went on 30 blind dates before I turned 30. And it went viral over in the UK. I ended up getting picked up and working for a newspaper. And the reason I used to love going on loads of dates is it does wonders for your self-confidence because you you start talking about these things that you did years ago in random, in random conversations that you wouldn't have with your friends because it's a first date and you're just exploring each other's kind of mental history. And I, you know, I used to actually come away feeling so much better about myself. Like, you know, the, com- the kind of complete opposite of how you might think someone who's single, been single for a while, will be feeling about themselves. Because I'd be like, actually, I've done some kick-ass stuff. And I was actually pretty cool on that date. And so I, I used to love that side of, of, of going on dates. It, it, I found, you know, I did, I did these 30 dates over three months with complete strangers that were picked for me. So I didn't know who I was seeing until I turned up.
0: Oh, so go back. So you, this is how you got to the dating industry. You started yeah. a blog
1: called? 30 Dates. Um, it's still around. You can if you Google thirty dates it'll come up. Um so it was it was thirty dates before my thirtieth birthday. So I had three months basically I got ghosted before ghosting was even a thing. Like and um and I genuinely searched the obituaries because this guy had gone so AWOL out of nowhere after like four <sighs> amazing yeah, dates. I've been there. Um, I remember hearing you say that. And um yeah, and so, and so I realized that I had gone from bouncing around like a Cheshire cat at work to just really miserable. And I had three months left in my twenties and I was determined that I wasn't gonna spend them moping over some guy who wasn't worth my time. And so I set myself this challenge on Facebook just saying to my friends, look, if you send me on blind dates, if you can send me on thirty blind dates over the next three months, I'll go. I'll go on them. You know, I just said ideally, can you make sure that they're men and they're between like twenty five and thirty five and they're straight? That's kind of all I all I require. As I wasn't trying to look for love, I just wanted to have a fun time, and my friends just got so excited that them sharing it on Facebook. 2000 people read the blog the first night I wrote it Um, and suddenly I was like oh god I'm gonna have to go on these dates and so I literally spent still to this day the best summer of my life just going on dates three times a week and trying to juggle that round a banking career and some very uh, accepting bosses who were letting me leave work early and stuff and I was blogging at like three in the morning and stuff as soon as I got home but I, I honestly had one of the best summers of my life and I did I did most of the dates in London and I actually flew to New York and um, Los Angeles for dates 29 and 30 which is really cool and I did date 30 hiking to the Hollywood sign the night before my 30th birthday Which is wow like, with an aspiring Hollywood actor um yeah no I had I had the best time but yeah, I, I think it was really interesting because I kind of I definitely learned to love myself just from from having those conversations where you are talking to a complete stranger about stuff that you doesn't come up into conversation with your friends. And um, so you're suddenly remembering all the cool stuff that you have done. And actually you are a cool person and, totally. um, and then you see people's responses to that. Right. And and yeah, no, I really enjoyed the experience. And
0: of course, that opened hundreds of doors for you after.
1: Yeah. So I then became editor at the Guardian, a dating editor for the Guardian. I was also helping them to build a dating site. Then I went to Time Out Magazine, which I think you guys have in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was Time Out's global head of dating. So I was in charge of all dating content for them. Um, and then it was while I was doing all that, that I had the idea for the dating awards, because as a blogger, people kept emailing me and saying, what's the best dating app? What's the best dating site? Which experts would you recommend? Which matchmakers would you recommend? And I was like, well, I can tell you what i think as a straight female but there must be a more democratic way to decide this so i started the awards in 2014 in the uk and then people like you kept emailing me saying you've got these in the uk when is this going to come to the states when is this going to be in europe so we launched in europe a few years later and then the states um and you won (laughs) i did i
0: won i don't want to say i was not expecting i was i came into that into the awards ceremony so neutral And hopeful, but for really different reasons than I think most people in the industry understood. Like, so there's another dating award that happens in the industry. But with that one, what happens is you basically nominate yourself which is for free. And then you basically, they give you um, this website where anyone can vote. And it's just, all it has is like, for instance, it says best online dating site or best matchmaker or best dating coach or best website design and as long as you have a lot of followers you're going to win and i remember one time competing with someone in the industry who has not really matched <laughs> in a few years although he's very famous for that and he would end up winning and i was like okay like you know you have 20 times the followers that i have online when you shoot a link out it goes viral like you know there's it's like i felt like this is really hard to juggle like to to compete with the when popular it- vote
1: and it was interesting because I mean, part of the reason we didn't do it in that way was because I had been a blogger and I'd been in a lot of blogger awards. Um, I had been in similar competitions to that where you're like, okay, I've got really dedicated following. I know my posts are way better than certain websites, but if they had a really good social media following, exact same thing they'd send the link out and and so I wanted to do something that really felt like it was properly judged it was judged by people in the industry so we set up these impartial panels of matchmakers so for example with the American Awards it was all British matchmakers British owners of dating sites literally trialing everything and we would do so I used to love this we stopped doing this because I went to Lumen but um I used to love the mystery customer side of it where you would ring up and just pretend to be a customer and see how these by the way
0: I had no idea until the awards that that's what you did. Like for, I guess I didn't read the fine print, but all of a sudden I would find out at the awards that, oh, we mystery shop you. Like we call your service. We talk to people, you know, someone. And I was like, wait, what? And that's when I was like, okay, I, I mean, I hope we win, but, um, and I'm really happy that Agape Match did win best matchmaking service at the U.S. Dating Awards in 2016. That's um, that's actually one of my proudest achievements, but also the people that I was up against were also really great services. So I felt even, I felt happy to be in that group to begin with, but also the fact that people within the industry were secret shopping, that felt even more... I felt more confident in winning it than thinking like, oh, people who've never used my service are now just voting for me because I asked them to vote for me.
1: It was, it was I, I'll be completely honest, running an awards, uh, or an awards company is a really exp- interesting experience. I had people who didn't win who would email me being like, yeah, I want my money back because I didn't win. And um, right. I would have people try and bribe me. Um, yeah, it was it was such a crazy four years. But I, I think the great thing was I got to see the dating industry inside out. So I'd seen it from the consumer side. And then I saw it as a judge picking apart all these websites, all these apps, all these services, and just getting to know the industry because, and I've said this from day one in dating I think the dating industry is a really interesting one because it's completely unregulated so any man and his dog could turn around and tell you they're a dating expert That's and right. they could you know anyone can set up a matchmaking agency tomorrow they might have no c- customers and um, anyone can literally white label an app and say that they were a dating app and then you go on it and there's no there's no one on there or they're fake bots and stuff so a lot of work has been done over the last 10 years to really try and legitimize it and and, and my part in that was to try and shine a light on the people who are doing the the good stuff in the industry, so that the people who are doing the bad stuff get less attention. Because I'm sure, I'm sure you've come across some too, Maria. There are some shady things that happen because the sad thing, and I say this as a single person, is that, you know, people will spend good money to try and find love. It's one of the most important things in your life. Um, And there are some very cynical people who will see single people as just walking pound or dollar signs and forget that that's a human being. And and when I ran Lumen, I was so aware that we had 1.5 million members in our first year. And I was so aware that each one of those members was a real human being who was having an experience on our app and putting their heart out there and putting themselves out there um myself and my co-founder so it was an over 50s dating app it's it's now been um exhumed into Bumble so it's now included in Bumble myself and my co-founder who are both in our 30s we were the only under 50s on the app and we would have profiles that said I'm the founder and I would just every day I'd be sending random people messages that popped up on you know when when I was looking in the area and saying look maybe you could change this picture and or maybe take Take that same picture, but take your sunglasses off, or take this one outside, or maybe you could include a little bit more information on your bio um, and just trying to really help people. And, and, and I would get 20, 25 messages a day minimum from just random members around the world saying, Oh, would you mind taking a look at my profile and just telling me what I'm doing wrong? And I, and I loved it. I love that human side because, you know, we are all in it together. And I think. It's really sad when you realize that some of the people running these businesses don't, don't see the real humans and, and don't seem to appreciate that. Maybe they've been in it too long, but they don't seem to appreciate that this is you are changing people's lives in this industry. You know, you must be responsible for far more weddings than I was in, you know, in a year and a half of running a dating app. But I still have a list of all those weddings. I've got pictures from the weddings. And I just find that so yeah. lovely that people are still reaching out to me on LinkedIn saying, oh, we, we met on your app last year. We just That's got engaged. Awesome. And it's really cool.
0: That's really lovely. That's awesome. So you left Lumen. Lumen was taken over by Bumble, which congratulations on that
1: as well. Thank you. It was, yeah, it was acquired as part of the Blackstone deal at the end of last year. So it was actually, I was, I was hoping to run it for a lot longer than we did, to be honest, but it was, it was quite a fun experience for just, just shy of two years.
0: What attracted you to do Lumen though? What attracted you to do over 50s?
1: So my co-founder, Antoine, he had previously worked for Badoo and Bumble and knew the founder of Badoo. So he'd actually already secured the funding and he needed to find a co-founder. And he approached me because we knew each other through the industry. And do you know, it's really funny because I'd said two things about dating apps when I've been asked so many times, when are you going to, you know, you're a dating expert, when are you going to run your own dating app? And the first thing I said was, for a dating app to work you need to have members so you need to have some investment it's a market right and in order to get people into the marketplace you need to have a marketing budget basically um and so I was adamant that I would only do it with some proper funding and we were very fortunate I think we had 3.5 million pounds as our seed investment um and then my other thing was that it needs to be a reliable niche. So, you know, running the dating awards, I could see all these niche apps coming out. And the and the problem quite often was that they would go too niche, right? So people with beards and people who like to stroke them. Great idea. Actually, how many how many people are going to sign up for an app where everyone on the app has a beard in reality? You know, and 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 it was interesting because I mean over 50s shouldn't be a niche, right? But it it worked as a niche because as someone who'd worked in the dating industry for so long, I couldn't count how many people had approached me and these would be like friends, friends, parents saying, what dating site would you recommend for over 50s? And the longer I was in the dating industry, the more I realized how difficult it is dating, particularly if you're a woman over 50, because the problem and this starts probably in your late 20s, the older we get, the younger our are men of our the same age are trying to date, right? So I am 37, most of my male friends are already trying to date significantly younger and we're talking anything from like 18 to 25 maybe, you know, and, and wow. that gets, yeah, that gets more and more polarized as you get older. You have more so, competition. More competition and you just don't even appear, right? So on a dating app, the nature of filters means that if you are on Tinder and your 50 year old woman I mean, to start off with, when Tinder launched, you couldn't even create a profile if you were over 50 years old. They didn't want it to be for older people. It was designed for uni students. Um, And then so now you can join if you're over 50. But what happens is that men who are in their 50s and 60s will set their filter to under 35, maybe or under 40, and they simply won't even see you. So you end up almost invisible. And this word invisible kept coming up on every conversation that I was having with women in their fifties who were talking about the dating their dating experiences. And and I so I knew that something needed to be done for that age group. So when Antoine mentioned the idea he'd had to me, I was like, this is brilliant. Because actually we knew that it wasn't going to appeal to every over 50, right? If you are a really hot man in your 50s and you know that you're pulling all these 35-year-olds and you don't want to date anyone older, well, you're not going to go on a site or an app where everyone is over 50. But there are a lot of men and a lot of women who still want to date people their own age. So by basically ring-fencing them, It just meant that they weren't going to feel ignored and overlooked because there's nothing more rubbish than going on a dating app and then just having no interactions at all, because then it starts to really impact on your own self-confidence. And I think that we saw that a lot with these. Um, We did a lot of one-on-one research. Obviously, both of us were significantly younger than our target audience. So we talked to over 50s all the time. Um, and, and the same stuff kept coming up. And the other thing that came up, which honestly, I had never realized until we started doing these interviews. Lots of women who are over 50 get catfished on dating apps by men in their 20s who pretend to be in their 50s and then go on the date and then go, actually, I'm in my 20s or I'm in my 30s. Not as a joke. They genuinely want to date older women, women, but they will use like their dad's photos on the dating app to trick these women onto dates with them because they don't believe that the women would want to date younger men otherwise.
0: So how would you verify age on Lumen?
1: So on Lumen, you had to, you had to do photo verification and the AI is that sophisticated these days. And I would say that it's within two years of accuracy. So if, if you looked, if you looked under 40, it would immediately flag if you looked between 40 and 50, then a human moderator would check it. And um, it's really, it's really clever. We got quite often got blocked off our own app because people would report us not reading that we were the founders. And then the AI would go, yeah, she's not over 50. And then I'd have to be like, right. guys, hello. That's <laughs> really funny.
0: That is so funny. So uh, you have this plethora of dating knowledge. I have one question from one of our listeners.
1: I'm excited. I listen to your podcast all the time, by the way,
0: so I'm very excited. I love that you do, by the way. That like that makes me so happy. So let's see. Since we're talking about niche, <laughs> uh, let's talk about that tall niche. Hi, Matchmaker Maria. I love your podcast and have recommended it to all my single friends. Thank you. I'm 31 years old, female, five eleven, and living in San Francisco. I have been mostly single, trying to find my match throughout my 20s, often via the apps, which haven't proven successful. It only recently occurred to me that my height may be a variable. Here's to being tall, confident, and a little oblivious. Ha ha. I would love to hear more about your thoughts on dating as a tall woman. I didn't realize the things I'm experiencing could be a thing many tall women experience until you mentioned it offhand a couple times on your podcast i would love more advice on how we amazons could be more successful out there thank you so much so this was sent to me by dana so you're tall too right
1: yeah i'm not not as tall as you i'm five foot eight are you five eleven i'm five eleven
0: yeah that's still so we are amazon pretty tall
1: Yeah, (laughs) it sounds like Dana is not bothered by the height of the men, right? It sounds like it's the other way around, because it's not like she's saying I'm 5'11". I'm only going to date men who are six foot six.
0: No, she never mentioned her height specifications. I think she is experiencing height discrimination on the apps from men.
1: Yeah. It's such a tricky one isn't it because I know that you always say you shouldn't you shouldn't worry about height and I know that my one of my good friends in the UK one of the top matchmakers Caroline Breeley she always said that as a as a matchmaker that was one of her biggest bugbears was people who adamantly you know were fixed on height I have to say, I am not attracted to men who are shorter than me. I know I'm not. I've tried dating many who are shorter than me. And I just, and I know, I know the reason for that is that I like to feel a bit more feminine. I don't, I feel quite lumbering and big if the guy, I'm also quite heavy, right? I don't like if the guy weighs less than me. I wouldn't date someone who was taller than me and weighed less than me. It would make me feel masculine and and, and I don't want that. I think the thing with dating is is working out, your deal breakers and actually working out which ones are really deal breakers. Because I think when you start dating, people have got like this list of like 25 things. And I think you have to look at each thing and think, actually, is this genuinely a deal breaker? And what, what are the reasons behind that? I mean, I date, so I'm five, eight. I used to date, used to date I used to live with someone who was six for eight. And I love that because it made six me- Six eight? Put, yeah. First time in my life, I felt small. How did you get around? Get, get around? Oh, it's absolutely fine. You're all the same length. Lying down. Um, No, no, no,
0: not. How did you get around, like in a car? Or oh,
1: it, yeah, it, he fitted into normal cars. He was fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was, He just had to bend, duck his head getting into a doorway. I think that's the only, yeah, the only it, issue. And what is quite funny is if you ever look at any of the pictures of us together, I look like a small child next to him, which I have never done in my entire life. Because normally I'm the one, like the tallest one in the picture, especially in heels. But I did, I did enjoy it. That it made me feel more feminine and more girly, which I think, you know, as someone who a lot of my friends, a lot of my best friends are like five foot two and I'm the person that can't go out in heels on a night out with her friends because otherwise I'm towering like a a foot above them. I I like that feeling but but I've learned that there are other things that I can't be fussy about if I'm going to be fussy about height right like that you I think you have to you have to make allowances for other things and decide really what is the most important thing to you. With Dana she doesn't sound like she's she's the one that's bothered it sounds like it's the other people which is sad and I think but I suppose it maybe it works that it works both ways and if I feel Effeminate, effeminated, uh, is that a word? The opposite of emasculated, if unfeminine by being bigger than the guys, then there will be men who feel emasculated, feeling shorter than a woman. And I, I think it's just a reality, right? I know a lot of men who are married to, to taller women. I think, is your husband a little bit shorter than you? Or is it you same, so, same
0: height? He claims to be an inch taller than me. I think he's half an inch taller than me, but he met me in heels. So, you know, he met me two inches taller than him. But I don't, I'm not. At 5'11", um, when I was single, I was open to dating men, five foot foot up. But that's because I didn't think my femininity came from my height. I thought my femininity came in other ways. Um, you know, I'm a very nurturing person. I'm a great listener. And I think, you know, there's so many things you can attribute to being feminine, masculine. That's a very binary way of thinking as well. But I didn't think my femininity came from my height or even my body type. So I didn't. So I, I love that there's two perspectives on this, right? you have this perspective of height. And whereas for me, I'm not a heightist. I've always been quite reasonable with, with the height. I mean, I've been on dates with men who are even shorter than five foot nine, but um, I feel like anyone I've been in a relationship with is usually five foot nine and above. What I will say to Dana is that the great thing about being tall and what she self-described herself as confident is that you can market really well in, in real life um, interactions So, and I know that's not a option for a lot of people. I get that. But if you think about even online, right? Like I always tell my single clients, you're only going to go down the aisle with one wedding dress, just like you're only going to marry one person reasonably if you're not um, into polyamory. That being said, you know, yes, maybe there's not a lot of men looking for you because of height restrictions, but at the end of the day, I I would hope you only want to meet men who don't care about this or are genuinely interested in meeting someone of your height. So, you know, maybe it's less interactions, but maybe they, they can be for, more focused on quality. You know, one the one last thing here I want to say about height, it's so weird. Like in my experience, I'll, like professionally as a matchmaker, a lot of tall men that I've met, they usually At least when they come to me, I'm sure it's very different in real life and on the apps. But when they come to me, they'll say stuff like, well, I'm 5'11", or I'm six feet, I only want to date women five foot seven and up. Like if I produce a match, it's five foot five, it has to, it becomes a debate, which I find very frustrating.
1: It's an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because I've got lots of friends who are like five foot two, five foot three, who still want to date people who are si- over six foot. And it's become this like magic number. I think the interesting thing is if you don't care about height, you can clean up on these apps, right? Because right. there are lots of very eligible men around who are five foot five, five foot six, five foot seven. And you see that on their profiles, right? You see these guys who are incredible and, and clearly are and, and mentioning their height because it's clearly been an issue with other women on the apps. So I think if that's something that you decide is not a deal breaker for you then you are opening massive doors for yourself I just want to it's so
0: funny a colleague of mine this morning asked me Maria do you have any Jewish men who are over six feet tall that live in New York City that are very successful and I said to her no like currently any of my Jewish clients that live in New York are five foot eight which is the average height of most men Um, and then I said to her now she's she's not in New York City I said to her you know, you're lucky in New York City, 13% of the population is Jewish, like it's less than 1% of the population in the world is Jewish. But in Manhattan, 13% of the population is Jewish in New York City, right? But only 10% of the population is over six feet tall. So 13 times 10%, that equals 1.9% of Jewish men that might be over six feet tall.
1: And we've not even thought about how many of them are single yet, right? Right. We haven't
0: talked about how many are single. We haven't talked about how many are secure attachment types. Um, We haven't talked about how many people people want to meet someone just like you, where you fit all of their criteria. Like, so you're asking for the 1% who now has to fulfill the rest of the criteria that you have, But also, you have to fit his. And now you've made the goalposts even smaller. So, you know, exactly what you said. If you can open up yourself to height, your height and up, that's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking for you to go below, but if you could just do your height and up, you will be really surprised by the kind of men you might find yourself dating. And you could be happy. I mean, what is the worst case scenario here? You go on a lovely first date. You meet someone new, you have in in COVID times, you have a 30 minute Zoom date. Like what is, what is, what are are we talking about? What's the worst thing here?
1: I mean, everyone's the same height on Zoom, aren't they?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think that's a, you know, reasonable.
1: If you want a bit of that perspective too, it's worth reading the book Datanomics. Um, I think it's by John Berger, which talks about. Um, He's actually that... going to be a guest in a few. Oh, weeks. brilliant! He's great. Yeah. He spoke at that event that I ran in New York that you where you won your award. Um, he it's really interesting actually because I mean I know, I know that Maria is a big advocate of moving if you decide that you have exhausted your town or your city, and he talks about the different demographics in cities and how they and how that uh, that affects single life. So for example he looks at universities where there's loads more men than women and vice versa and the different ways that men behave and scarcity and how you know if you are um uh, in university for example if you're at a college where um there's loads of women and there's very few men then those men are far less likely to settle down and marry straight after university than they would have been the other way around. Because if there were far less women, they would have got the wo- quickly got a woman when they could. Felt like they were scarce, and it's when it's a locked them down,
0: it's the reptilian brain. Uh, you know, thinking of scarcity versus abundance. So yeah, I totally. He's actually going to be a guest in a few weeks uh, because he has a new book coming out. So uh, I'm really excited about that.
1: I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit depressing if you're a white collar woman living in most cities, but it's worth, it's worth a read. Uh,
0: Okay. So one last thing I want to talk to you about. You've dated in the UK, you've dated in the US. Do you think there's a difference between the way people date in Europe versus the United States?
1: So I think there used to be a difference in the way that people dated in Europe and in the States. I think it's increasingly less and less. I think I think Tinder is responsible for a lot of that. I think the kind of the idea of multiple dates in a week was something that people would really have, it would have really shocked people. I think five years ago, six years ago in the UK still. And it's that's definitely changed. Um, I think but I do think the Brits are getting increasingly more like more like Americans. Uh, You know, so I, as I've mentioned, I listen to this podcast. I follow um, your ask a matchmaker every Wednesday. And I would say the one thing I've noticed in your answers that I think, oh, that's not quite the same in the UK is maybe the, um, when you tell people that they shouldn't, I know you believe that you shouldn't move in with someone unless you're engaged. And I think that's a bit different in the UK. I think it's really rare that someone would move in with someone would wait to move in with someone until they're engaged. Um, and I don't know if that's maybe like a religion thing or something like a, that. Maybe we're a bit less religious and that's where it stemmed from. I'm not really sure. Cause like whenever you, whenever you give that piece of advice, right. I'm like, Oh, that doesn't really sound like Britain.
0: Uh, yeah. I'm dying to have this conversation with you because one of my friends asked me this weekend, do you, I feel like dating is easier in Europe than in the U S. And this was from a man and I asked him how so. And he said something along the lines of like, you know, it seems like women, they've been conditioned to play games here. And I'm struggling because he lives in Europe who's even though he's American, and he's just experiencing issues here while he was here, you know visiting his parents uh, the last few months. and I said to him, there's a lot of things here that you're, j- that we juggle in America that just does not exist in Europe. So just to your point really quick right now you know, you're right in the UK, if you're from Northern Europe, I would not give the same advice when it comes to moving in. I think if you have a partnership with someone and you can see eye to eye on your three-year goals, move in quickly. Um, America is, I think, the fourth most religious country in the world. And in, in Northern Europe, Sweden, Norway, Finland, United Kingdom, there is a tendency for people to have long-term partnerships with people, be married, even have children and not get married, right? If you go to Sweden, it has the, one of the lowest marriage rates in the world. And that's also because you have more social services in these countries. You have a safety net where you don't have to get married to have access to it. In America, a lot of our safety net is dependent on who our spouse is and do they have better insurance than us? There are different motivations to getting married here versus in Northern Europe.
1: Well, and also, I mean, our law has changed too. So if you live with someone for five years, for example, you're treated as being common law married, like the law treats you as exactly the same as if you were in in a married partnership or a civil partnership. Also, there's one thing that actually, as you were talking, I was thinking that is different in the UK. I think I'm right in saying in the US, most paying clients of matchmakers are male, right? And normally matchmakers quite often will hunt for the women, whereas the men will come as customers to matchmakers. Is that correct?
0: I mean, we do get requests every day from women and we will take one or two women a year but yeah.
1: So it's the complete reverse in the UK. Almost all paying clients of matchmakers are women and um, and basically British matchmakers. I can, you know I, know, I know all of them. They um they will hunt down the men for the women, if that makes sense. It's very rare you'll get a male paying client, a matchmaker. So it's quite interesting how that's a difference. So maybe that I think does it could align be, with what your friend was saying.
0: It could easily also be more women becoming our clients. We just... I mean, I took female clients for eight years as a matchmaking service, but at some point I burned out because hunting for men can be really difficult. So, so, the, so the rest of the the point I was telling now, my friend who was in Europe who was visiting the United States is this. I think in America, women play more games because men here are not as good communicators. And I know I'm saying this as someone who's British, where you have stereotypes about being closed off emotionally. But hear me out here for a second. Of course, we're talking about I'm talking to you in a post-Thatcher world, which may not apply to the continental Europe for you specifically, but in the US, we have a very individualistic society and you can see it based on how we're treating a global pandemic. Most of Europe is very collectivist attitude. And I think this shows up in dating. For instance, if you, a lot of people in continental Europe do meet people through friends. And if you were to ghost a friend of a friend, that group of friends stop talking to you Like, there's just kind of like this group think when it comes to how we treat each other. And in America, it's like, well, don't call them for a couple days, you don't want to seem too eager, or it's just a lot of communication problems that exist from day one. And that's, that's because both genders are playing by very different rules, I suppose, when it comes to dating.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that probably is cultural. I think it's also, to be completely honest, and and I say this as someone who used to run a dating app, I think it's also down to technology, right? It's a lot easier to ghost someone behind a phone screen and again like like you said you haven't got that accountability of your friends introducing you you can completely remove all contact with that person and that person can't find you if they don't know where you live so it's a lot easier to just step away from something in a really impolite way because because of the facilities that allow us to do that you know you can you can block someone from your life by pressing a button which you can't do in the normal IRL world right and so I think yeah I think that, that that has changed the way that we treat people I remember one of the first so I was you know going back to this dating blog that I had I was one of the first bloggers who was writing about tinder and the effect that tinder was having on dating and one of the first things I noticed was actually I had gone I'd, I'd tried to schedule this date with this guy that I've been chatting to and he kept messing me around and months later I ended up getting in contact with him because I needed a male blogger for the for the blog and I was like oh you'd be perfect. And we actually had a really frank conversation as friends at this point who had never gone on a date, but he, you know, had gone through a sort of the courtship process together and it never went anywhere. And he was really honest with me. I said, you know, you treated me quite badly. And he was like, Charlie, being completely honest with you. At that point, you were a photo and a name on my screen in amongst 20 other photos and names, you weren't a person. He's like, now I've sat opposite you, I would never treat you that way. But up until that point, you know, there's a level of detachment where you're almost like a playing card in someone's pocket and they see the city as this never ending stream of these playing cards. And so I think one of the keys to dating is reminding people that you're a human being as early on as you can, so that they don't treat you as disposable. And so that they, you know, that you would like to think that most people once they've met you and, and not everyone does this and that's why ghosting happens. But you'd like to think that, that like there's a level of morality that steps in once you've had a bit more of a connection with someone.
0: Yes, I feel like you're kind of bringing me back to the thing I posted yesterday on Instagram in terms of like, if you're looking for a resolution for single people, like the best right now people are tired of swiping nine months of swiping is just hurts. Like it's so draining emotionally, mentally, physically. And I think it's up to all of us, not just single people, but people that are in relationships to create those human connections. Even if it's virtual host that zoom party, you know, invite all of your friends, all of your single friends, it doesn't matter if it's 10 women, just invite all of them into a Zoom party. And you can either do a, what do you call a virtual escape room scenario through Zoom. You can do Pictionary through Zoom. You can, you know, there's a lot of, if you Google Zoom game ideas, there's a ton of games online that you can play on Zoom, but group all your friends together. And that way they get to know each other because they're going to create now new friendships, which will open up new opportunities.
1: I was gonna say, regardless of whether you are single or in a relationship and listening to this, think about your single friends and genuinely do look at your friendship group. And I know Maria does this all the time and think, would these people work together? Is it worth me introducing them? I mean, as someone who went on 30 blind dates, some of them were blooming awful. And the reason they were awful was because someone went, oh, she's single, he's single, boom, they can go out together. You know, have a bit more thought, apply a bit more thought. There's nothing worse as a single person when someone says, oh, you're both single, you've got loads in common somebody that's not about. enough <laughs> um but actually you know as a single person, you shouldn't have to keep asking your friends, do you have any single friends that, that might, you know, like actually be proactive. And, and even if you're single too, if there are guys in your life or girls in your life that you're, that, that are single, that you're not attracted to, well think about your other single friends. Might there be someone that you can introduce them to? Because it, it is so much better if you can meet through friends. Like I think you have that level of accountability. You already have some common ground there, right? And that person has done some level of vetting. If you trust someone enough that you're their friend, then, then anyone that they're friends with, you would like to think there's a bit of common ground there. They're not going to be friends with an idiot, right? Like you'd hope. So I think, I think you know, try, and, try and constantly think about, about other people, regardless of whether you're still single or not.
0: I think it's a really good resolution to just try to find three friends to get them in relationships this year. And you might not realize what you don't have to pick a friend yet. Just start with all of your friends. And kind of go down the line and then even talk to another friend who's in a relationship and say, "Hey, who are your friends? Let me look at my friends. who can we set up?" what we're, what I'm asking for as you know, Matchmaker Maria is you just setting up a 30 minute zoom conversation. That's it. It's not a lot of effort off of anyone's back. And but think, you know.
1: think of the you know the reward. if you create a wedding, oh my God, you're going to get mentioned in those speeches. You know, you're going to be like godmother, godfather you'll be, the to their god, you'll be the god. You'll be
0: the godparent to their kid. I mean, full stop. That's it. So, you know, get on it. And I, I really believe it. It's, it's actually even something I'm doing. I know I do this professionally, but I am also looking at my group of friends who are single. And I'm thinking of friends who are in relationships or happily married who might also have single friends. I'm being like, hey, look, these are my, these are my five girlfriends who are single and my, you know, three guy friends who are single which of your friends might be matches for just one of them you know that's then I want everyone to do that I want everyone to just spend a couple of hours a month I'm not even asking for a lot of time just a couple of hours a month just go through your friends and see okay who can I connect with maybe we can make a match here well and And this is is your own
1: this is your own success story, right? Because you, the way that you met your husband was basically doing this for yourself, being like, who in my yeah. friend group is someone is the type of person that I might want to get married to? Let me right. meet their friends, right? Let me like, That's and so literally what did I did for yourself. <laughs> yeah, and what's funny is he actually joined my database that
0: day. I didn't realize it was him. I didn't even look at his profile. Yeah, I remember Maria C who introduced us was like, you know, he's in our database. I had him join today and I was like, okay. And she's like, who should we set him up with? And I'm like- no one me like what what are you talking about right now <laughs> why do you think i'm here <laughs> so yeah charlie how can people find
1: you so i am on twitter at charlie lester so c-h-a-r-l-y-l-e-s-t-e-r and it's the same handle on instagram but it has a dot between my names because instagram i will include
0: both links yeah i will include both links in the episode notes charlie you think- you so much for joining Ask a Matchmaker. I'm just so happy that you know we got to we got a chance to talk today, and I love the variety of topics we covered. So thank you so much for joining me on Ask a Matchmaker.
1: No, and thank you for asking me. Honestly, um, I have a lot of friends who are fangirling the fact that I'm on this show. So that's ah, pretty cool. I love that.
0: <laughs> I love that. I, I love that you're a fan. So that makes me just. I If people could see my smile, they'd see that it looks like a hanger right now. So thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. If you love what you heard, and you have not already review and of course subscribe I will have Charlie Lester's social media links in the episode notes so check that out and if you want to enroll in an upcoming agabi match intensive link in the episode notes as well to join. Do you have a dating or relationship question visit askamatchmaker.com to submit a question. You can also follow me on Instagram at matchmaker maria for more dating and relationship tips. Until then be lovable and more importantly be likable. See you next week.